This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that is here simply for the hooey and applesauce. He is the captain. Pork chops and applesauce. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Oh, today, today we are featuring a great one, Lost Marbles by Jackie O's Brewery. I lost my marbles. (laughs) I lost my marbles a long time ago. Funny thing, Captain, I've had a few of these, and I can't find them anywhere now. I've been looking and looking. Anyway, Lost Marbles is a juicy IPA with notes of lush pineapple and ripe papaya, and it's really incredibly good. The garage grade on this baby, five out of five bottle caps and let's give some thanks and praise to some of our incredibly good friends here captain first up we have katie in bakersfield california and a big shout out to crystal in weberville michigan next up i am handing out a title here captain and i'm not handing this out without a lot of thought going into it but my favorite listener my favorite listener award goes to misty mullins cheers to you misty And a big, nice jib to Lori in Richardson, Texas. And today I want to give a very special shout out from the bottom of my heart. A thank you for listening goes out to a longtime friend of the show, Kristen Baldwin. Everyone that we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. And the question that you have to ask yourself this week, are you team captain or are you team Nick? We have a ladies Tank Tops, Team Captain, and Team Nick. Pick your side. Don't pick your nose. Go to the store page. They're on sale now. And that is enough of the business. All right. Thank you, Captain. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
let's get into it. This case has a lot of claims. I mean, we're not going to hear about Bigfoot. We're not going to hear about alien abduction, but there's going to be a lot of interesting claims in this case. The Heather Teague case was dormant for nearly nine years, but in 2004, a detective from Medina, Ohio, this is Detective Scott Thomas, came up with an intriguing theory. He believed that it was possible that Heather had been abducted by somebody else. This was Henderson, Kentucky native Chris Below. This is all laid out in an expose in the Akron Beacon Journal that ran in early February of 2005. Detective Thomas was assigned to the Ohio cold case of missing woman Catherine Fetzer. Catherine vanished in November of 1991 after leaving a note for her husband that she was going to the mall. But she was actually having an affair. This is with a married man, the man that we just mentioned, Chris Below. The two met where all great love stories start at the Plasti Coat Factory. This is where the two worked. They were seeing each other on the sly for months. When Catherine vanished, the affair came to light. And Chris denied any involvement in her disappearance and was not cooperating with the investigation. Medina detective David Shows spent 11 years trying to pin her death on Chris. He determined that Chris purchased a handgun at a Medina gun show 17 days before Catherine vanished. Then Chris sold the gun at a pawn shop after the detective questioned him about Catherine. Then, in early 1992, Chris's third ex-wife told police that on the day Catherine vanished, Chris met a friend at the couple's apartment, and this friend helped him move a vehicle that was the same model as the missing woman's. The friend, Richard Lawrence, told police that Chris drove his Jeep over to Lawrence's house and asked him to help him move a car later that day. Lawrence followed Chris driving a blue Ford Tempo to Southern Medina County where Below left the car near some railroad tracks. This was the same make and model and color of the car that Catherine, the missing woman, was driving. Right. Lawrence observed that Chris sat in the car for a few minutes and appeared to be wiping down the steering wheel and door before he got out of the vehicle. Lawrence also noticed a blue tarp that Chris used to cover his motorcycle was in the back of the Jeep. This, he says, was unusual because Chris never left his motorcycle uncovered. Lawrence also knew that Chris was having the affair, but he didn't know with whom. He later heard that a missing woman named Catherine Fetzer's car had been found right where he had seen Chris park the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So soon after this event, Captain, Chris drove the Jeep back to Kentucky where he was from. Neither the white Jeep nor the blue tarp has ever been seen again or ever located when looking into this new suspect, Chris Below. The Ohio detectives came to believe that Chris might have dumped the Jeep in the Ohio River on the Kentucky side in a deep spot. This is a real thing that stood out for me in this case. They believe that he dumped the Jeep in the Ohio River on the Kentucky side in a deep spot where locals often disposed of vehicles, which would then get swept away by the river. 
So if you know of this spot, if this spot actually exists and it does exactly what we just said, and you're a very dangerous person that needs to hide, conceal, discard, get rid of evidence, well, you got your spot. And that's a scary thing when we have people with basically with what our allegations are against this guy. Well, I'm not so sure that this river can take away the car. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how that would work. But what it does do is once it's emerged in that water, especially for a long period of time, and might take law enforcement a long period of time to find that vehicle, now any evidence that's in that vehicle is probably going to be washed away. Well, and this spot just so happens to be less than a mile from where Heather Teague was abducted in 1995. Mm. So we have these detectives that are convinced that Chris murdered Catherine Fetzer in 1991. They resorted to mailing letters to Chris, pretending to be a relative of the missing woman, of Catherine's, pleading for information about her. Chris ignored them. He did time in an Ohio prison after serving time for stealing money from a little league team in Holmes County and then moved back to Henderson, Kentucky, where he was from, this in August of 1994. I mean, think about this. This guy's a real piece of shit. I mean, one, three wives. Every time that we have a real piece of shit, it's always, man, they got three wives. They, It's like... They they might be pieces of shit, but they're they're good con men. And then this asshole, or they're really bad at choosing wives. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um. But no. But then this asshole steals money from a little league team. Yeah, that's pretty low down. That's that's pretty low down. Yeah, that's bad news bears. But the thing here, Captain, is not only do these detectives believe that he is responsible for the disappearance of Catherine Fetzer, but they also believe that he might have killed other women as well. Yeah, a serial killer. Evansville, Indiana police picked Chris up in November of 2003, and they went to an apartment where he was living with a woman and her five kids and arrested him on accusations that he had molested his niece. Detective Thomas took this opportunity to interview Chris. He confronted Chris with Catherine's missing persons case and questioned him for four hours. By the end, Chris confessed that he shot Catherine in his apartment in Medina, Ohio. Detective Scott tried to get to the bottom of where he hid the body. Chris told him that he ditched her in a dumpster, but detectives found evidence that Chris once bragged about knowing how to, quote, get rid of bodies, this by burying them in a shallow grave and putting lime on top, or feeding them to hogs, which will eat everything, including clothing and bones. This was quoted from the 14news.com story. I guess after this confession, Captain, Chris was extradited to Ohio, His attorney struck a deal with prosecutors who, without the body, they don't have this Catherine's body. Right. So they were kind of backed into a corner here and felt that they had to take what they could get. So the deal was that Chris agreed to serve 11 to 18 years for manslaughter. Which is obviously not enough, but you also have all these accusations that he's 
also a child molester. So at some point you're, you got to get this animal off the streets so he can't hurt anybody else. He was 39 years old at the time and he started serving his sentence in the fall of 2004. So anybody out there looking for a future ex-husband would be happy to know he should be released in 2021. No, the answer is no. So who is this guy? You want to look into this guy for a little bit? Piece of shit is what he is. Right. (laughs) I I second that. Uh, Chris below was a real wild one and not in a good way. Born and raised in Kentucky and the product of an unhappy marriage. And even though he chased a lot of women, it looks like he had a real disdain for them. Mm-hmm. He had a tattoo on his chest depicting a horned woman, which he described to investigators as showing women as, quote, blood-sucking whores, end quote. And despite being a real asshole, Chris was married five times that we know of. Oh, my God. And was engaged when he was finally busted. So five times that we know of sounds like he was working on number six. So what does all of this have to do with our case, with the missing person case of Heather Teague? Well, they already proved that he knew the area. Well, that's right. He he grew up in the area. Mm -hmm. And in November of 2004, Kentucky State Police confirmed that Chris was under investigation as a person of interest in the disappearance of Heather Teague Mm -hmm. after the Ohio detective started looking into unsolved cases of missing women in Indiana and Kentucky places that they knew that Chris lived. Well, question for you. Do, do, Do we have any drug history with this Chris guy? I don't know. I can't say for certain that we have anything on the books uh, my suspicions are that yes, that that, that we would because because we have some on again off again use with with, with Heather. Right. So I'm just wondering if that could be the connection there. Yeah, I think there could be all kinds of possibilities when we talk about this guy. So let let's get into a little bit about what the detectives discovered in regards to Chris and their suspicions of him. They knew that Chris was living in the Henderson, Kentucky area in August of 1995 when Heather was abducted. On the day that Marty Dill killed himself, Chris abruptly moved to Georgia. This is all very strange. He's living in the area when she was abducted. Mm -hmm. And on the day that Marty Dill killed himself, he gets up and he he takes it to Georgia. Mm -hmm. Chris and Heather Teague apparently had some acquaintances in common. So they may have, there's a chance they may have known each other, but what we do have here is at least saying that, Hey, people that they knew knew each other. Heather made a call from a payphone outside of a bar near Henderson. This is the night before she vanished. This bar was frequented by both Chris below and Marty Dill. Right. So it doesn't have to be one of the, one or the other it could be both there you go that's where my mind goes yeah because i mean that suicide like i said doesn't make a lot of sense i mean yes you don't want to go back to jail but it's it's essentially a drug charge but if you have a murder charge now now you're facing a whole different kind of sentence those are what i think are the most damning thoughts about 
what could connect him to this case. We do have one more statement, and this is from the Akron Beacon Journal, where they have people that are saying that Chris hung out at the beach where Heather was last seen. He was known by these people, according to their claims, to drink and do drugs there. I do want to point out, we also covered that article that says five to 600 people may have been at that somewhere along that beach that day. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me like most of the people in the area went to that beach. So I, yeah. I, that, that whole thing I don't think is such a big deal. I find the bar thing really interesting, though. Yeah, here's what's fascinating, though. You, this woman, she's, Heather was a pretty lady. She catches your eye. You, at some point, see her leave. You now know her vehicle. As you're driving around maybe that beach area, you spot her vehicle. And like we said, she wasn't in the major populated spot of the beach. She was kind of secluded. So is it possible that these two individuals were hanging out and saw her vehicle parked and said, hey, remember that girl from last night? And maybe there was conversations that they had with that girl, with Heather that night. And here's another thing in regards to Chris's appearance, the physical traits of Chris. We're going to quote here from the Akron Beacon Journal just because they really summed it up very succinctly. And they stated, quote, outwardly, he would alternate between an attractive, confident man sporting a cowboy hat for a photo that he passed out to women that that he was intrigued by, that he wanted to talk to. Wait, he would uh, pass out a photo? He carried a photo with him. Here you go, ladies. Eat your heart out. Well, I think what they're trying to point out here, Captain, is that sometimes this man had the ability to appear to be clean cut. Right. While other times he appeared to be strung out looking, a mountain man with unkempt hair and a scraggly beard. Bushy hair and the beard, yeah. There was one thing, though, that Chris could not hide, whether it be under a cowboy hat or, you know, when he did have that clean cut look. He could not hide a peculiar genetic quirk that gave him kind of a distinct look. When resting at his sides, his arms were bowed and his hands turned in a awkwardly position. So his palms faced backward with his thumbs against his thighs. Mm. This is a little strange. What, What could this possibly matter? People are wondering. So here's where the case starts to go off the rails. While looking into Heather Teague's file, in it, the detective found the composite drawing of the scraggly, bearded man whom Tim Walthall described to investigators as the man he saw dragging Heather into the woods. Right. And Thomas believed that he saw in the drawing evidence exhibited by that physical nature of Chris with the hands turned inward. Right. Tim Walthall told investigators that when he witnessed the abduction, he said, quote, I remembered everything about the guy, especially how he held his hands turned in. And in my humble garage opinion, the drawing compiled based on Tim Walthall's memory, it does resemble Chris. Well, and we have no eyewitnesses coming forward saying that they saw Chris's vehicle, so that makes a lot of sense because we do know that this Bronco was in the area. Mm-hmm. So again, points back to two individuals, 
And also, maybe you commit suicide because you know how big of a piece of shit Chris is. And if he is, like you said, possibly a serial killer, then we know that he's capable of murdering you as well. It's really difficult because we do have the witness who seemed to be very certain that it was, in fact, Marty Dill that he saw that day on the beach. But we do have a statement of him later after he saw the photo of Chris. He says, you know, whether he still thought it was Marty or who took Heather or if it could have been Chris, he says, quote, if you asked me five years ago, I would have said yes. This in regards to Marty Dill. Now he's saying now I don't know. Right. As for Heather's mother, really, she didn't know what to make of this development because remember, she had been told by the state police that Marty did this. So let's talk about this composite sketch that police used to to lead them to Marty Dill. First of all, it's pretty detailed. I mean, considering that the witness was half a mile away and looking through a telescope. Right. It seems a little dubious that uh, Tim Walthaw would have observed such a small detail as to the way that the suspect's hands lie against his thighs. Mm-hmm. I find that, it, it, look, Tim Walthaw has come under quite a bit of attack, and a lot of it I don't, Sarah Teague is not going to love hearing me say this. I don't agree with most of it. One thing I do find very strange about his story is this whole thing about the the way that the suspect's hands were against his thighs. We have his statement that this took place very quickly, and we know that two things, according his to his statement, were going on at the time. One, the suspect is carrying a revolver in one hand, and at some point the suspect grabs the hair of Heather Teague, pulls her up, and twists it. Mm-hmm. So... This this whole thing takes place in a very short window of time, and for a good deal of that, both hands are occupied. Both hands are doing something where they would not be resting naturally at their sides or unnaturally at their sides. Right. So I find this to be either either it's very convenient now that we have a new suspect, or it's just... I don't I don't really know what to make of it. I'm I'm very skeptical of it to say the least. Well, in in fairness to Heather's mother, I mean, when you go through this uh traumatic situation and you're not getting answers and and at at one point they're going, it's this guy 100% and then they go, uh, "Wait a second. Maybe it's this guy." Mm-hmm. And then you have the possibility like we already said, could be both guys. And then so, and then you find out that the eyewitnesses has some relationships possibly with law enforcement. And then you start questioning, like we said before, he, you know, all records point that this eyewitness didn't call 911, that he ended up calling um, the sheriff department or the police department in that area, mm-hmm. which is not crazy. But if I see something that I think possibly could be violence, especially against a female, call 911 immediately, but we have a gap in time. Uh, And I think what also probably has really rubbed Heather's mother the wrong way is every time initially that 
She was dealing with the police. She was also dealing with the eyewitness. Mm -hmm. And I think that would raise some, you know, red flags. Why didn't you just talk to them and get his statements? But he seems to be very invested into this investigation. And look, again, if you're a true crime fan, then you're going to go, hey, there's plenty of times that suspects will uh, insert themselves into an investigation. Is that what this eyewitness is doing? And that could just play tricks on your mind when you're not getting answers. The the difficult for t- the difficult thing for Tim to have been involved in this is just that. In my opinion, he could have only been involved. There would have had to have been other people involved. And I say that because we do know for a fact that he did call police. Right. Whether the story he's giving is true or a complete lie, we know that he called the police and gave a statement of something he says that he's seen. What we also know to be true is we have the videotape proof evidence of her vehicle entering the beach that day. So if in fact that was her driving her vehicle, mm-hmm. and it, I mean, the, the notes say here that the videotape, I've not seen the videotape, but everything I found says that the videotape also shows Heather walking down to the beach by herself. Mm-hmm. If all of those things happen, then what that tells me, if Tim is a bad guy, if he's lying, if he is somehow involved in her disappearance, then he is still just calling it in from across the water and something else was going on. And this might've been a bigger, a whole bigger nasty thing that was going on that that's really hard to pinpoint just one person. Well, impossible to pinpoint one person for being responsible before we move on from the composite sketch though, captain, I do want to point out, hold on. I do want to point out that he was also with his wife at the time. And so if he's involved, then his wife would have to be involved as well. The thing with the composite sketch, according to Sarah, and I, I like this. I like this questioning that she has going on regarding the sketch itself, because she says at some point, Hey, I believe what they did was they reverse engineered this whole sketch, meaning they didn't sit Tim down and he describes the guy and then they pull up the paper and go, Oh, this is what he described. No, she's saying there's a possibility that they were drawing a picture of Marty Dill. Right. And remember his old driver's license, in fact, does match the description of the composite sketch. Right. So they could have pulled that from their records and then used that to draw a right. composite draw. And nobody really will know for sure. We do have the Kentucky State Police on record saying no. We drew the guy as described by our witness, and and we do have we we do have Tim on record who says, "Look, all I know is I saw a guy take a girl off the beach, and I described what he looked like." Yeah, but you know what this all sounds like. Remember with making a murder, where they have um, a lineup, a photo photograph lineup, and they end up putting Stephen Avery in that lineup. It sounds very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, well, we have some eyewitnesses that maybe saw this Bronco. We know who owns that Bronco. We know this guy is kind of a shady character. So draw him. Draw him up. And that's what 
Sarah is pointing out. Mm-hmm. She's like, look, that that whole bit slipped through the cracks and they screwed up by reverse engineering this composite sketch. And, oh, I figured it out because you didn't put two and two together that that this guy doesn't actually still look like this. He may have looked like this at one time, but he doesn't at the time of the abduction. Now, the tricky thing, as we've already pointed out, is Chris Below does not, I mean, he looks like the composite as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's really just a, a very difficult thing. We even have a statement by Sarah, the mother, who says at some point where she actually believes that maybe the composite was, somehow put together after they were already on to to chris which i with uh, marty i'm sorry which is not so much different than what she was saying years ago we're going to segue just briefly here captain and look at whether chris would be connected to any other missing women as stated by the police detective thomas believed that since chris worked as a truck driver along routes that included north and south carolina florida alabama and louisiana that he should be looked at in other cases of missing women around the country there does seem to be reason to suspect that he could be a repeat offender or even possibly a serial killer as you pointed out and here are some reasons why his half-sister melissa told police that her brother kept a shoebox of items that were suspicious she said a reporter to a reporter Quote, he pulled out the box one time and said, if anything ever happens to me, hold on to this. So what was in the box? According to Melissa, in it were letters, What's new photos, box? right, and items of jewelry. But it also contained flyers for five or six missing women. She said that Chris had moved the items in the shoebox to a metal box with a lock after he found out that she looked through it and had taken the box with him when he left. Investigators executed numerous search warrants looking for this box. In December of 2004, multiple agencies joined in the search for this box when they searched Chris's fiance's home. They also opened up a storage unit that was rented by Chris. They're looking for that lock box. They're looking for, according to the newspapers, items that could connect him to the disappearance of Heather Teague as well. They did not find the lockbox, but they did find a certified mail receipt that placed Chris in St. Cloud, Florida in 1998 at the time when a woman by the name of Mary Kushtu vanished after leaving a local bar. She's never been found either, and her case remains unsolved and open to this day. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. 
one in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, 
Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. We are going to look. We could spend a whole episode or two just on this Christopher character. Mm-hmm. If anybody wants to look him up, it's Christopher J. Below or Belo or Bello, however you want to pronounce it, but it's spelled B E L O W. Look him up. He's suspected in a lot of different cases. Some of them seem to be a bit of a leap, and others seem to have quite a bit more weight to him, but he's an interesting one to consider. We won't totally move off of him though, because I want to touch on this real quick in regards to the case that we're talking about. This is from a November, 2004 article that ran in 14 news.com actually a series of articles about Chris being considered a person of interest. And it contains a new theory, one that you were dancing around earlier. And this states that, In the article, it reveals some information about the videos that we talked about earlier, where we have the farmers who were setting up a surveillance, so to speak, of the area of the day in question. And the article states regarding this video that the investigators believe that the suspect, that Dill, Marty Dill, is behind the wheel of his Bronco. Remember the video captured her car, her walking to the beach and the Bronco. Right. And they also say that the video captured possibly Dill behind the wheel of the Bronco with maybe Heather being in the bed of the truck. And investigators say it appears that Heather's car may have been ransacked. And the person who is doing it was probably not, well, is hiding from the camera. I'm guessing that the camera would have been obvious to people in the area. Mm-hmm. Most likely to the right of the car where the corn stalks have been crushed down. The investigators speculate that Dill, Marty Dill, drove the Bronco while someone else assaulted Heather in the back of the vehicle, and they believe that that someone could be Chris Below. Intriguing, right? We have two suspects that both look good for this abduction separately, but also together as well. Well, and we have a questionable eyewitness. Questionable as far as the family is questioning uh, his involvement. Well, I think this is where we warn everybody to hang on because this case will get even stranger as we go. Because there is an entirely different set of circumstances to consider, and this will take us down a whole other path to the possible truth. Yeah, some rabbit holes. Sarah Teague says that the FBI, which were involved in Heather's case, came to her in 2005 and stated that agents discovered evidence that sat in the evidence room at the Kentucky State Police and was never tested. The state police had screwed up the investigation. The agency recommended that Sarah pursue the case at the federal level. 
she should have Heather legally declared dead. If she did so, it would allow the FBI to provide her with their documentation about the case pursuant to FOIA request. Let's ponder this just for a second, right? Evidence in the custody of the state police sat collecting dust rather than being tested all of this time. Yeah. In the face of the same agency telling the family that Marty Dill killed their daughter and then killed himself. That's the problem, though, is sometimes with these cases, you have law enforcement going, hey, we think this is the guy. We just can't prove it. Okay, now we have to move on to other cases. But this whole time you had some evidence that was sitting there and you believe you, you, you've you identified the victim. You believe you've identified the perp. Let's let's test some evidence, right? Yes. And see if we can close the case. Oh, I agree with you. So after after doing as instructed, after declaring, having her declared dead, Sarah got her hands on the FBI files, which were, of course, heavily redacted. Now, we have only Sarah's word for what these files contained. Mm -hmm. They have not been made public, although the findheatherteague.com webpage has some brief excerpts. So all of this information is according to Sarah. Now, this is some of what she said she has uncovered. An unnamed FBI agent wrote in a 2005 memo that Heather Teague was last seen on a boat ramp, not on the beach, on a boat ramp two hours after the key witness called police. FBI documents indicate more than one person may have been involved in Heather's disappearance. Sarah believes that Heather may have been going into the witness protection program based on some of the documents stating, quote, WP program on them. One of the documents excerpted for public view on Sarah's site written by an FBI agent in 2005 includes the statement presently attention is primarily being focused on the strong possibility of drug slash prostitution strip club public corruption linked to Heather Teague's abduction investigation continues a 2007 FBI synopsis mentioned that something redacted in the memo was being kept a secret by the Kentucky State Police. At the present time, no family member attorney is aware of the same. The records don't explain why the FBI started looking into Heather's disappearance. Sarah said an FBI agent told her it was because the case was potentially connected to another case in which the agency had interest. The FBI documents on her site are very heavily redacted and almost impossible to make heads or tails of. One mentions a source has heard that certain public officials in Henderson strongly enforce meth violations in an effort to promote and protect their cocaine business. It also mentions Uncle Sam's strip club. Another says that there was a club in you're going you're going over this too fast for me. Uncle Sam's strip club, meaning that the government has a strip club? No. That, or that there's an actual strip club called Uncle Sam's? There's a strip club called Uncle Sam's Strip Club. Okay. The reason why I'm going over this very fast is we're talking about documents where damn near everything has been blacked out on them. So right, all you're right. getting is little 
bits and pieces. And so we don't know what their relationship is, if anything. That's the key thing there. If anything is to this case. But these are the things that they chose not to redact. And if, in fact, this did come from the FBI, as Sarah says it did, then this is the breadcrumbs that we have. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it, it seems like there's a possibility because we know that Heather had some drug use that maybe there's some possibilities that sh- she was working with um, law enforcement, possibly to set up a sting for people. That's one theory. And then and and go with me on this. But the idea is that there was a sting that day. It didn't go well. She was taken captive. And the reason why some of this stuff hasn't been tested or we don't have answers from law enforcement is because since they were working with Heather that they have to cover up that they made a mistake and they weren't able to protect her. That's one of the claims that are out there. Right. And the way that that theory kind of goes and plays to the people that we've already mentioned in this whole mess is the possibility of our witness actually being in the drug trade himself who is phoning in a phony abduction that may involve the two suspects that we've already mentioned, one or both of them. Right. We know that we have a dead man, Marty Dill, who was running some kind of growing, selling marijuana operation. And that maybe somehow a lot of these people were in cahoots together and he's phoning in something kind of a staged abduction that's meant to look like something else when really they're they're just trying to shut up this young woman who is is looking to to put a lot of people behind bars. Right. Again, as said, I I don't know we have to point out that that these documents, they come from Sarah. It, take them for what what they are or for what I guess for what we're being told that they are a grain of salt. We don't know if anything if this has to do with the actual abduction of her daughter. It does mention a club in town called Rumors. Really, all this is hinting at though, there are rings that are doing illegal activities and making money doing illegal activities and either Heather was aware of these or she was involved in taking them down. That's what that is meant to point at another whole mess in this, this big case here, captain is the calls themselves. The calls that started it all with the eyewitness who says, I witnessed the abduction phones it into police. Now there's discrepancy, whether 911 was called, whether the Indiana state police was called, whether the Kentucky state police was called and then transferred to Indiana state police. It gets all very messy, very quick. But what we do know did happen is Sarah was eventually able to finally listen to this call because at some point she gets suspicious of the eyewitness and of the call itself. And at the very least says, Hey, I'm the victim's mother at the very least, you could let me hear the call, right? Well, well and look, I, I just want to point out that there's so many cases that we have looked into or that are a part of the true crime world, and when there's not answers, you start becoming suspicious of almost anybody. So I, I think that's what has definitely happened in this case, but I just want to 
say that that has happened with a lot of cases. And then you, that's when you start getting into these ideas of these bigger conspiracies. But again, here's an individual, the eyewitness that has inserted themselves and law enforcement allowed that to happen. So again, I think it's within the, within her rights to go, Hey, I'm suspicious of this person because you have allowed him to be here and to be so present during this investigation. Well, and I'm going to try to go through this as efficiently as possible, let's say, because this is a long story and there's a lot of twists and turns in this portion of the story as well. And I don't want to lose anybody along the way. So I'm going to try to make it efficient. But before we get into that, it's, it's not just, a suspicion of other people being involved or, or maybe your mind runs wild and you go to these big conspiracy theories or anything like that. It's also at some point you just go, maybe this group cannot solve this case. Maybe this group cannot figure out what happened to my loved one. Give me a damn shot at it. Give me a shot at it. Right. I know that I don't have the resources that other places do. Maybe I can rally the troops and maybe we can figure this thing out. And look, this is a cold case. And it was cold years ago. It didn't just get cold last week. This thing has been cold on ice for a while. So I'm, I'm fully with Sarah Teague here. The short of it to start us off here, captain, in regards to the call, the eyewitness call to nine one one would be that she says, look, I want to hear the call and can you, can you produce the call and give it to me? Can I get a file or a copy of this call? She gets the run around saying, hey, it's on reel to reel or we're having trouble locating it, blah, 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 right? But this eventually ends up with her finally hearing it, sitting down with law enforcement to hear it in 2008. Mm-hmm. And she says, hey, I heard a digital copy. It wasn't reel to reel like I've been told all these years. So that is going to cause some suspicion on her part. Well, Sarah Teague sued. Oh, hold on a second. It's- Yes, it might cause some suspicion, but it's very possible that they took any reel-to-reel tape that they had and and converted into digital format because it would save a lot of space. Well, of course. Of course. I know that. You know that Sarah Teague probably very well knows that. She's just going, if it was so damn hard to get a hold of it for me to hear it years ago, why all of a sudden this and why is it not what you told me it was this whole time? Right. So she sues the state police in 2016 this for denying her open records request relating to that call itself. Mm -hmm. This motivated by what her attorney says was a discrepancy in the call itself, meaning the details that are given during that call, there's a discrepancy between what they heard when they listened to it in 2008 and then when they heard it again in 2016 when they got permission to hear the call again. It was played for them by a state police detective that was assigned to the case. Now, Sarah and her lawyer believed that it was different, as said, as the one that they heard eight years earlier. Her lawyer said that the state detective told Sarah that the reel-to-reel tape of the 911 call had not been sent to the FBI until 2012, and it was returned in digital format in 2014. Let's think about this for a second. Part of the reason why she's told, hey, we can't produce this tape for you is we sent it off to the FBI. Mm -hmm. 
she's saying when I finally heard it, when I, when they produced it in 2008, it was a digital copy. Now in 2016, they're saying, Hey, it wasn't sent off to the FBI until 2012. When we got it back, we got it back in digital format in 2014. The the stories, either they don't know what's going on and they're perfectly innocent. And it's just, they, they've really screwed up the chain of custody on this, this good piece of evidence or they're telling them a story. It's, it's either one or the other. It's either you drop the ball or you're making this up as you go along. And it feels like that. And again, if you feel like law enforcement is making stuff up as they go along, that's why I just, I, I feel so bad for the victims families in a lot of these cases. I mean, you, Look at the Amy Mahalovic case. I mean, and what that can do to parents, and and you're almost like grasping at straws. And in and sometimes you hear people make fun of the victims' families for looking for answers from psychics and from tarot readings and from wherever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think it's just it just shows. Like you said, if you think the law enforcement is telling you a story, then what hope do you have? Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in here, I mean, obviously we're not privy to a lot of the closed-door meetings that Sarah had with law enforcement. And mind you, she is talking to several different agencies. She is represented by an attorney as well. But, I mean, it looks like there is something something fishy going on something and and maybe again maybe it's not anyone's fault per se maybe they're not they're not puppeteering this whole magic act but maybe they they just don't they don't have the answers but don't make them up don't don't produce an answer yeah. if you just don't know but it's also though difficult like you said we don't know the information that she has from law enforcement because they had to disclose all that to her right Mm -hmm. but some of these leads or some of these things that they worked you know like oh there's an eyewitness that saw her on a boat dock we don't know where that lead took them right and what we end up having here is you know she wants these this recording or recordings depending on whose side you believe she wants them released in October of 2017 a judge agreed with Sarah Teague because the state police their concerns about releasing the 911 tape, they're saying, hey, this is an open investigation. We don't want this released. And the judge comes out and says, look, your concerns and the way you've explained them to the court are vague, speculative, and extremely remote based. Right. And he ruled that, look, it was a complete disregard of Sarah's rights, willfully violating the st- the state open records law. And so the judge ordered that the state police release the call or calls again, depending on who you believe and related chain of custody information to Sarah and her attorney at that time. So now they're given this information. It's now theirs to do what they will with it. In January of 2018, her attorney filed a motion for contempt and a motion to compel the motions claim that the state police failed to provide the records as ordered by the judge. So they've had four months 
to produce after the court ordered them to do so. Mm-hmm. And they had not by this point. They had produced a grand total of zero materials that were required by the court. So the judge ordered the state police to pay Sarah's attorney's fees and costs and penalties, which totaled over $23,000. Well, yeah, which is good for her, but. Yeah, because she same- shouldn't have to go broke fighting them again for something she already won. Right. But that's, again, like like you've always said, it's like, it's it evil or stupid. If, <laughs> right. if you're just being stupid and that's why you haven't given it to her or you're trying to be like, oh, well, she sued us, so we're just going to be a uh, pain in the ass about it. But it's not affecting their pockets. It's affecting the taxpayer pockets, I imagine. You know, because she's probably suing the department. She's not suing individual detectives or officers. And so uh, good that they have to pay for her lawyer fees, but it also just makes it seem evil. Like there's something nefarious going on here. Like they're trying to cover up something. Look, and I'm not coming after the Kentucky State Police. That's not what I came to the garage to do today. So I don't, when I leave the garage here, I don't want anybody to be left with that impression that, that, hey, we, Colonel. that we set out <laughs> to destroy the Kentucky State Police because I'm sure it's, it's a fine outfit. It's a fine organization. But what I see here in this case does not reflect that. I, I drive through that beautiful state many, many times. I do not want any trouble at all. But what it causes me to question is multiple things. What did they know or suspect about the victim involved here? You know, we saw these things of maybe witness protection, or maybe she knew of some bad dealings going on and she was informing law enforcement about that. But that, that makes you take it a step further than we have outside agencies involved. We know the FBI was involved because they gave redacted files to Sarah. This is per Sarah's statement to the public. Right. And we also have reason to believe that other agencies, outside agencies were involved. This is the detectives from Ohio coming down and saying, Hey, this Chris guy that's been uh, snooping around your possibly snooping around your beach and might be linked to your missing persons case down here. We think he's good for, some disappearances in our state and probably in some other states. And then you wonder, well, if they weren't willing to work with the Teague family, how well did they work with the FBI? How well did they work with these other agencies? And look, we say it all the time here in the garage. It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that sometimes it takes a village to solve a case. Sometimes it takes a village to protect our children and to protect our people. You got to work together and I question if they did that, and if they did, how much effort did they put into working with with these others? Well, and sometimes you you can raise a child with a pack of wolves. But look, this, this uh, department needs to get their shit together. This is a this is a victim that again you dropped the ball, so stop continuing to drop the ball. And it makes again stupid or evil. It starts making you question, though, even though I I don't think there's any evidence that this eyewitness is a bad dude or that he has this horrible criminal record. But if he is somehow tied in with law enforcement, then are they protecting him in some kind of manner? It it makes it very questionable. And um, yeah. So, well, and the other thing, though, too, is, you know, we have a, a situation where 
Whatever happened to Heather, she was 23 years old on that day when she vanished, when she went missing. Today, she would be, what, 48 years old. We're coming up on 25 years on this case. So we're talking about currently a whole new generation of officers in that state police outfit, a whole new generation. Right, so right. Uh, there, there's no reason for them to cover up for past transgressions against, you know, the, the, the old, the old regime, let's say. Uh, but they, they also just might not be aware of what was going on 25 years ago. This case is really a confusing mess of rumors, allegations, changing stories, and false leads. It's almost impossible to make out what actually happened to our victim, to Heather Teague. Yeah. Well, when you have rumors that possibly that she was working for law enforcement, possibly working maybe even for the feds, then they, she enters some kind of witness protection program, but you'd think at some point they would have explained this to at least her mother or would have had her, um, you have all these rumors like that. I mean, like I was telling you in an interview, she doesn't go into it too much, but at one point she says, it's possible my daughter was working for the Democrats. And you're like, what is she talking about there? There's, there's no follow up in the interview after she says that. And, but I think again, when we shouldn't have to question law enforcement as hard as she's had to question law enforcement. And I think once you have to do that, that opens up a can of worms and it really makes your brain go. Anything is possible. Bigfoot is possible. Aliens are possible. You know what I mean? Well, here's some things. Okay. I have to believe that if the FBI obtained any actual concrete information, they would have acted on it rather than just hand the files over to the victim's mom over to Sarah. I agree. Uh, again, I believe this case is a confusing mess of rumors and allegations. As a result, Heather's fate is really been the subject of all kinds of rumors. You discuss some of them and we discuss the witness protection program theory a bit. Look, I, I purposely do not want to go through all of these rumors because there's not enough time. And really, a lot of them, these rumors run the gamut and most don't track. Most of them don't have any carry any weight to them at all. Mm -hmm. Some of the more interesting ones, though, that I found along the way, maybe she was buried in concrete in Bluff City near a trailer. This is on 2nd Street where she was rumored to have been killed. Other rumors are she was killed and fed to hogs. This was backed up by a redacted FBI document regarding a jailhouse snitch, your favorite kind of snitch there, Captain, who reported that he heard two guys and one said he killed Heather in Webster County and fed her to hogs. There's another rumor that Heather was the victim of a snuff film. Sarah Teague seems to have believed this at some point early on in the investigation. Here's another one. Heather was accidentally run over while trying to escape a moving vehicle, either the Chevette or the Bronco, both already mentioned in our story. She was then put in a box and dumped into the Green River. This one came from a brother-in-law of Marty Dill. 
who said she died while trying to escape. Of all of the rumors and possibilities, this is one that I, that I can't get out of my mind. I cannot shake this one. This one feels to me to be much different than the other rumors out there. I also have seen several cases where people are have dumped victims' bodies into this green river. So right. very interesting that this rumor includes one or both of the vehicles that we've already mentioned and this kind of notorious green river. What does her mother believe? Well, as summarized in the Messenger Inquirer, quote, Sarah Teague believes that her daughter was involved with illegal drugs and may have been about to expose powerful people. She has said the case involved drugs, prostitution, and public corruption, and that Heather met with a Henderson police officer the night before she was abducted. Sarah said that Heather met up with this same officer three weeks earlier. This all points to Heather being a CI, an informant for the police. And Tim Walthall, she believes, may have been working with the cops or made up his story altogether to hide something else. Further, she has insinuated that Marty Dill might have been murdered. We'd like to state that we've have seen nothing to verify these theories. Now, this theory seems to hold, I guess, some weight on maybe its face and probably at the core of it as well. However, this theory has some wide, widespreading tentacles, and the theory quickly becomes complicated and very unlikely. What's strange about Heather's case is the manner of the abduction. Because if somebody planned to take Heather, whether a, a gang of drug dealers, corrupt local authorities, or someone who was stalking her, a public beach in broad daylight does not seem like the best option for a discreet kidnapping. Not, if, not when you knew that the night before she was at a bar. Yes, she's at a bar or you, you were having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with her earlier on. You could have snatched her then. In fact, what I'm pointing out is it, it seems downright brazen and way too risky if that's if that's what you're trying to carry out and not impossible though not impossible but i also think that it's out of the question that this would be a witness protection situation yeah too much money spent too many yeah resources i feel like this type of violent forced abduction seems more much more like a typical crime of opportunity some guy or some guys driving by or heading to the beach saw heather park walking alone to a secluded part of the sandy waterfront decided to grab her whether it was dill whether it was chris whether it was both i mean really it's it's anyone's guess at this point i have to think that the big fork in the road in this case is very simple it lies with the witness reporting the abduction if this report is truthful then this was very likely a sexually motivated crime, likely perpetrated by some stranger or possibly strangers working together. If his report is a lie and creates this false narrative, then maybe the tentacles stretch as wide and deep as Sarah says and as wide as she believes. However, Captain, I see a mother who has worked so incredibly hard to locate her daughter to bring 
her daughter home, even if she has already passed away. And out of this hurt and desperation, one could easily begin to believe in their heart that the answer has to be a complicated one, or else by now we would know what happened. Fortunately, we are currently living in an age when cold cases 20, 25, 30 some years later are finally getting solved. And time and time again, we see the answer is usually rather simple. A cruel display of how someone just simply has no empathy and really no basic human decency. The attacker is often some violent deviant and because he has no heart, puts his selfish, disgusting wants ahead of someone else's beautiful life. I pray that Sarah gets the answers that she and her family so very much deserve after all of this time and heartache. Sarah was so dedicated to finding Heather and so vocal in her advocacy for missing persons in general that she was appointed as a Kentucky outreach coordinator for Q, the Community United Effort Center for Missing Persons. Tim Wathaw has been dragged through the mud in this case. He was even told by the Kentucky State Police to leave town for a while. Judge Shepard refused to require him to submit to a polygraph or to testify in court on grounds that it would deter future witnesses in other cases. We hope that one day Heather is found and the answers to all of these outstanding questions are resolved. If you have any information on the disappearance of Heather Teague, her mother would prefer that you contact her. Her email address is sarah.teague5 at gmail.com. And this will be included in the show notes. We would like to hear your thoughts on the blog. Check that out at truecrimegarage.com. And for all of our old episodes, check us out exclusively on the Stitcher app. Do we have a recommended reading this week? How about some recommended viewing here, Captain? I want to touch base with everybody out there because true crime content, it fascinates us all, but it has a hidden cost. The victims we discuss are real, and sometimes in these real-life cases, people are victimized and even killed, and the person responsible gets away. So let's come together as a community and help make a difference. True Crime Garage has partnered with Magellan TV and the Cold Case Foundation in hopes of helping victims. During the remainder of July, for every person that signs up for a free a free trial with Magellan TV, a $10 donation will be made to the Cold Case Foundation. So I'm asking everyone out there in the Garage Army to go to MagellanTV.com slash cold dash case and sign up today. You'll get a free streaming TV trial and your effort goes to a great cause. That link will be posted in today's show notes. So thanks to everybody out there for listening. Thanks to everybody out there for helping out. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't listen.
You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.